Hello and welcome to another episode of the, the Miseducation of Ricky Medina podcast. I'm already nervous. Uh, I'd like to introduce my guests uh, for who they are to me, not just who they are. Uh, and the cool part about this is I've never met Isabel before, um, actually, which makes it a little more fun. Uh, to me, Isabel is famous on teacher TikTok, uh, an education TikTok, and uh, I watch a bunch of her videos. Uh, she, you can follow her at ISE. The Advocate, that's Issei The Advocate, uh, on TikTok, and she makes a bunch of really, really cool videos in which she talks about um, basically like how to advocate for our students, um, and it's really inspirational, and it makes me think all the time. So, Isabel, thank you so, so much for join agreeing to do this. Thank you so much for having me. I'm yeah. so happy to be here. Uh, you have a really, really cool uh, education background, I think, that has like a whole bunch of uh, moving parts. So do you want to, I don't know, maybe talk about like how you got to where you are and, and what you do? Yeah, so it's kind of a long story, but I'm going to give you the, the quick version. Um, when I was younger, I faced a lot of bullying in elementary and middle school, and it turned me into this very on the defense person who was always ready to fight and always ready to stick up for those closest to me. Um, and so then in high school, I had some people, some educators who helped channel that into running and into helping others instead of, you know, fighting everybody. <laughs> so it, it was really helpful for me to have those educators in my life. And it inspired me my senior year of high school to apply for a teaching fellow scholarship, which I did get. And that kind of led me down an education path. And so when I went to college, I was majoring in education. And I, you know, was like, I'm gonna work with all these kids who are angry and quote, bad and fighters like me, and hopefully I can help them not do things the hard way like I did. And so that's what got me into the classroom. And then when I started teaching, I was like, wow, this is not what I thought this was going to be. This is kind of disappointing and kind of like, Bleh. so I kept trying to change things from my classroom. But I was like, you know, maybe more education would help me because nothing can really prepare you for being in a classroom. And so then I went back to get my master's and I saw all these different master's programs and it was like curriculum. And I was like, oh, that sounds boring. And it was like, um, you know, English. And I was like, that sounds really boring, too. And then I saw one that was on learning and advocacy. And I was like, what's that? That sounds amazing. So I read up on the program I applied. And when I started taking those classes, it was all about how to defend your students, how to defend fellow teachers, and how to just improve the education system by simply using your voice and, and taking action for things. So that really inspired me. I brought that knowledge back into the classroom and then I got a little bit too big for my britches and I was like, okay, well, I think we should do this and I think we should do that. And then I was kind of disappointed because I was like, I have all this knowledge, but I'm just me and not everybody wants to listen to me. So I started working small scale with students one-on-one -on, -one on how to self-advocate. And then I, I got pregnant. I had a son and I realized I can't even work with my son because there's so much maternity issues, so many larger issues. I can't afford to put him in daycare. So then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to quit and I'm going to start an advocacy business, see what happens. And it happened. And I was really happy to see how many people I could help, although it is very sad most of the time and very discouraging most of the time. But it's really amazing to see the amount of support that I've gained. And it's really amazing to see how many people are learning what advocacy means through that TikTok forum. So I do love doing that. And I love education. I'm considering going back into the classroom. So I think I'll always be in education. Yeah, I, I love I feel like so many different parts of your story are very relatable, because um, 
it's very, I think, normal for most teachers to have that feeling of like, I'm, it's only me and it's only my classroom. And like, what am I really able to accomplish? Um, and it's very inspiring to see somebody that has that mindset of like, well, what can I do about it? Okay, I'm going to go start this advocacy group. Or I wanted to, to plug this at the very top and I'm sad I didn't. Sorry, maybe I'll like do a little thing. You made a book. Uh, the Advocacy ABCs, uh, which is uh, teaching kids about self-advocacy. Um, and that's really cool. I think I think um, something that's really, uh, I don't want to say defeating, but um, uh, discouraging, I would say, uh, in the education world is this idea of like you, you're only yourself. So when you see something wrong and you see like the scope of the system and, and what needs to be done and understanding like, well, Maybe this problem needs like an administrator. I'm not an administrator, so I can't do anything about it. I feel like that happens all the time. Um, mm -hmm. So to have like real, um, real ways, real practical ways in which you can still fight for what you believe in, for lack of better words, uh, in a way that's not necessarily like traditional is like so cool to see. And I, I maybe I can ask you this question, like, in our school, at least, or in our school district, there's so much, like, people walking on, on pins and nails about, like, social media, because, of course. Um, so to bring something as important like this, at this idea of advocating for our students into an educational forum, was there any, like, fear or, like, risk involved in you doing that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, during my sixth year of teaching in around, I think, December, January, New Year time, I was considering starting the advocacy business. And I had been posting TikToks, just clips from my classroom uh, that I thought were funny and just to bring a different like idea of what the classroom looks like. Um, you know, I like to make jokes with my students. I like to have fun. So I would post little snippets of that. And I, although they were fun and positive, and it didn't really show the students. It was like their voices in the background. There would be people who would call and say like, she should not be filming. She should not be posting. And I can understand that to an extent, but also this is America, right? Like I can post, I can do what I want. And so I'm such a stubborn person. Like I told you, like I was a fighter, like I'm not really afraid to post what I want to post. And I did have my administrator say like, Hey, just make sure you don't have their faces in it. Make sure you don't do this. And if there's certain ones, maybe you should delete if parents are upset about certain ones. And I was just kind of like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And so then I kind of switched it and only started posting advocacy. And when that started to blow up, my administrator called me back into his office and was like, yeah, there's, there's parents really upset about this. And I was like, and your point is like, I, I'm sorry, Elaine, I'm not trying to sound rude. I'm not trying to sound mean, but if I'm posting something that I think is well-intended and I think could bring awareness to a larger issue, then I'm going to do that. And yeah. I think so many people were quitting education they didn't want to be teachers. There was a huge shortage. And then I'm posting positive things about the classroom and positive things about obviously, and people are upset. And it's no wonder that teachers want to leave. They don't want to be micromanaged. They don't want to be controlled. And social media is your personal, not necessarily diary, but it's your personal way to put yourself out there and self-express. And so although there was some backlash, I don't regret posting what I want to post. Yeah. Yeah, it's again yeah. super inspiring, <laughs> um, and it, like actually, right now, I yeah, I wouldn't say it's even hard to relate this because there's no like, um, not malice, but there's there's no conflict. It's just patience, I suppose. Um, but I'm trying to figure out how to include social media in my classroom because I teach a hip hop dance class, 
and mm-hmm. all these kids want to just make TikTok dances all the time. And I'm like, okay, so how do I like incorporate this in the classroom where it still makes you focus, it still keeps everybody safe, um, and there's a lot of like uh, moving parts. Um, but I, I, I like the cavalier attitude of like, if it's well intended, let's just do it. Um, and uh, I'll be careful with that attitude. <laughs> um, with uh, in regards to uh, you kind of talked about how parents were complaining about the TikTok uh, originally. And from my perspective, uh, watching your TikToks, it seems like most of the conflict comes with uh, either administrators or even it sounds like people are like home office sometimes um, where you have to work with IEPs or like students that have specialized education plans. Um, how do you remain like from my perspective i don't know if you feel this way you seem very composed and um you know maybe a reason why the parents seem upset is because you you're not harsh but you're very like stern and like no 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 this is like what the student needs there's no like let's not dilly dally kind of attitude how do you like remain so composed in those kind of difficult and sometimes intimidating conversations as unhelpful as this is, I can remain composed in those situations because of trial and error with all the situations in my life of like fighting people and cussing at people and attacking people. I've learned that that's never successful. So I'm 29 years old. And for 29 years, I have gone about things the wrong way. So now I'm like, that's not going to accomplish anything. So just slow down and say what you need in the most respectful way so that people will actually want to listen. And I think I've also learned that by just literally watching politics since I was like a kid and seeing how people debate. And I'm like, I didn't hear anything that person said because of how they delivered the message. So I've gone to therapy. It's (laughs) taken me a long time, but I, I really think that I do not let people get under my skin anymore. And that takes a lot of practice, but I think everyone can do it. And I think if we start addressing that with children, which is why I wrote the children's book, if we start teaching them how to compose themselves and how to regulate that nervous system, I think that they can skip the hard way like me, like what I did. And I think that they can advocate for themselves in a calm, composed way, which we're more likely to listen to others when they talk to us in a respectful way. And even children, for example, my son, if he comes up to me and is screaming, crying, I'm like, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Please go away. But if he comes up to me and he's like, mommy, I need this. And he explains why, like, I'm more likely to listen and, and meet his needs. So I think I wanted to set a better example for myself and my son. And I think it's been really good for me. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe to connect that back to the book, um, I was really surprised uh, when I saw that you wrote a book that the advocacy ABC is like, that's awesome. Definitely going to order this. And then realizing that it was a children's book, I was like, in my head, when I think of something like advocacy, I think of that's not a word that I really thought about until college. So I was like, why is she writing an advocacy book for kids that are in their ABC still. And then I was kind of putting it together and after reading it saying like, oh, maybe this is exactly her point. Um, So you, why did you decide to, to, well, I guess one, why did you decide to make this specifically catered towards children? And then two, do you have a plan or like, uh, what is your mindset around these same, these same concepts in educating adults? Because I feel like this was all (laughs) pretty important stuff for me to learn as well. 
Uh, just like you said, I didn't really hear about advocacy until college. And when I applied for that master's program and I was like, oh, what is this program? And so that's when I really learned about it. And when I was learning about it, I was like, why didn't I already know this? I'm 22 years old and I don't know what advocacy is. Um, nobody ever taught me how to stand up for myself in an appropriate way. I was out there fighting. So when I initially started writing the book, it actually was going to be for uh, those who have IEPs or those who have 504 plans. Um, and also it was to develop vocabulary for English language learners who might be in high school, might be in middle school, but don't have the vocabulary in English to stand up for themselves and, and their needs. So it was actually geared towards those groups. And then as I was writing, I was like, you know what, I think all kids might benefit from this because we all need to um, be able to tell our teachers and our parents and our guidance counselors and our admin what we need. And so I've seen so many videos of students getting in trouble for things that I'm like, if they just knew how to like appropriately stand up for themselves or speak about what happened, if they could just have that vocabulary, then I think so many issues would be prevented. So that's kind of why I geared it towards uh, middle school, elementary school level. And although I think people in elementary, maybe middle school, probably already know their ABCs. I don't think they necessarily have that vocabulary. So I, that's why I picked ABCs. Um, in regards to like adults, I think if parents get this book and read it to their kids, maybe it could help them because what we're seeing is so many adults who never learned how to advocate in appropriate ways. Like adults can advocate for themselves in an unprofessional, rude, terrible way instead of terrible example, but they can advocate. Kids don't even know what advocacy is and therefore they don't know how to advocate for themselves and their examples might not be the best, like what we're seeing in the political debates and things like that. Um, and while I was a teacher, I taught ninth grade and I would have like these debates, like I taught geography. And so we'd have so many different countries and cultures and people we talked about. And I'd see like sensitive topics come up, sensitive, and kids in my class just start going at each other for these things that I'm like, wait, what are you guys doing? So I wanted to be able to facilitate discussions where kids could learn without attacking each other for differences of opinion. Yeah. And so I think that has been lost. I don't know where it got lost, but I think adults don't know how to do that. And so I think the book could help in that way. Um, you know, there's some pages on there that are like, hey, like, don't shout at each other, like calmly talk to one another or grow in knowledge. So get really educated on what you want to talk about. And when I was teaching, I did see that kids would blindly throw out their opinions and be nasty about it and just get meaner and meaner and meaner. But I'm like, but how can you back yourself up with this opinion? Because it's just an opinion unless you put some factual data behind it. And so I think that was really important for me. So that's why I do think the book can be all levels, but it, it was supposed to be geared towards, you know, those with um, special accommodations or English language learners initially. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that was one thing. That, so I'm in my I think in the dance world, uh, an educational track is a little different because I've been at the collegiate level for, I'm about to start my sixth year. And then I just finished up my second year being full-time middle school. So um, that was kind of my biggest uh, wake up call in the middle school setting, because I was like, oh, I'm not teaching dance right now. Like I am, but like the, the main goal is to just like teach these kids how to like learn how to be people. Um, and then a lot of that was learning that the, the parents need education too. And being able to like communicate to the parents is a whole thing that like, Frankly, like I when I started, I did not even think about. So now it's like I'm, I'm coming up with all these strategies and concepts of like, how am I supposed to like communicate to parents if they'd have not like I'm, I'm thinking that I'm going to be able to communicate them with this like collegiate background and like 
formal education and like if they don't have that how am i doing that you know so uh yeah i i, I love that um you uh a lot i kind of mentioned before that like w with those hard conversations maybe in like an administrator setting or um i'm wondering too like with uh, other teacher settings when you're a team member uh and you are advocating for to me, the idea of advocating means that like there is some type of injustice happening and trying to speak up for that injustice. Uh, that's obviously going to ruffle some feathers. So how do you feel like you balance uh, or do you the idea of like being a team member that's positive and there for everybody and and not going to like um, self implode and still being able to like advocate for things where you feel like there's some type of injustice happening? That's a tough one. I, um, growing up, I was trying to do all these sports and I was not a team member. Like I wanted to punch everybody, especially in soccer. I was like getting in fights on the field. So my, one of my educators had, you know, was like, why don't you try a sport that doesn't have contact, that doesn't have a ball. So I switched to cross country and track where I could be an individual because it's very hard to be on a team. And now looking back on that, I think that still manifests itself today. Um, advocates when we work together we work together we're teams but a lot of times people don't like us a lot of times people are like come on like you're interrupting the way i've always yeah. done things so i don't like you and although it's difficult and sometimes annoying i think that we do need to hear advocates out because they want to be on our team but when people hear that an advocate is calling or emailing they they tend to get defensive and be like well I'm, i must be doing something wrong like you're gonna try and correct me you're gonna try and come at me and so it is very hard to be on a team with fellow teachers or teachers that you're working with or admin that you're contacting because it is everything is taken so personally and as a constant attack. And so I, I'm still figuring that out. I'm still trying to figure out how to be on a team with everybody I'm working with. Now, there's a lot of people who I contact who are like, thank you so much for, for calling. Like, and, and they're more than welcoming. And I, I think it is people who don't like I'm trying to find the right word to say this people who don't feel attacked we make a great team mm -hmm. people I think it's pride people who can set their pride aside and think about the the best case scenario for the student and how do we help the student going forward we are a team but people who you know the pride feel attacked and don't want to change um don't want to budge it's it's very difficult to be on a team with people like that so and you know I'm I'm hard-headed too. So when I encounter another hard-headed person, it is like we're on opposite teams, but the end goal is that we can become on the same team. So that's always where I'm trying to go, but it, it definitely takes some practice and definitely there's room for improvement. Yeah. Becoming teammates with everyone I talk to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I mean, I'm sure that idea changes person to person and team to team. Like every scenario is so different. Um, Yet, uh, I feel like this is something uh, something new to me uh, that when I started uh, working where I work right now was the idea of restorative justice, which uh, I feel like is what you're doing. Um, I don't know if you would agree with that or not, but uh, the something that I am experiencing when trying to implement restorative practices is it's really hard. And it's hard because sometimes if you have a student 
for example, like our school has a lot of behavioral issues. So if you have a student that's repeatedly having the same behavioral issues, you get members of the team going like, why aren't we doing anything about this? And it's like trying to argue like, well, there's restorative practices happening. It's just, it takes a while. And then people kind of get impatient and there's this like conflict. Um, and I, I, I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle where I really believe in restorative practices, but I also recognize that it's really difficult. And sometimes it takes time. And sometimes because it takes time, more harm can be caused. Do you have like a response to this idea of like, because I've heard before from people that restorative justice is too difficult of a concept. It's not realistic. Like we just need to throw it away and get back to like a more traditional setting. What is your like response to that? Do you think that restorative practices are too difficult to actually implement? I don't think restorative practices are too difficult. I think it's like the tortoise and the hare. And it's like, okay, people want the easy way. They want the the hare who's going to finish the race super fast. But, you know, that way doesn't really have actual um, positive outcomes for the student. It's just kind of like, oh, go to detention or go do this. And now you're fearing education. Now you don't like it. And but but you're listening now. And I think that that teaches more compliance. And, you know, are you are you respectful, obedient? And it doesn't actually teach them to like learning or want to grow in any subject. But, you know, the tortoise idea, like taking it slower and yes, it's more difficult and it takes a longer time and people don't want to do that, but it has greater outcomes. You're teaching kids social emotional learning now. They can calm down. They can take a breath. And it's just kind of like we have to lead by example with that. And people don't want to lead by example with that. They don't want to take the slow way. They just want to get it done. And unfortunately, that's just proven time and time again for like the last however many years that it's not working. And we do see like these other countries who have, who do restorative uh, and they have better outcomes than us. And nobody wants to like, look at that. No one's like, no, like America, USA. And although I like my country, there's things we could learn from how people do education in other nations. And I think we should look into that, but people don't want to look in it. They don't want to spend any time doing it. They just like to be comfortable on what's familiar and what's always happened. And unfortunately that's doing a disservice to our students. So yeah, I think Restorative practices are the way to go, but getting people on board with that is the hard part. Do you think that that's something, I don't know, like I could foresee a future in which like 20 years that it's like expected. Do you think that that's realistic or or um, do you think that it is going to be like this constant struggle of just like personalities or like willpower of teachers that are unwilling to kind of adapt restorative practices? Do you think that it's going to be normal or it's like it's a process and we're getting there or is it like something that we're always going to have to deal with? I, I think it's going to be normalized. Yeah, because the newer generation, they know what they want and they're all little advocates. They know what they want. They see an injustice and they speak up on it. And so I think that they're going to be way more open minded to the idea of that. I think they're that people these days, like my generation, I'm a millennial. I don't know if you're a millennial, but my generation is like trying to do gentle parenting and like really change things because I think my generation is the first one to be like, okay, I have childhood trauma. This didn't work at school. I remember that every day. It messed me up and this didn't work with my mom and dad. And so I'm going to do things differently with my kids or I'm going to do different things in my classroom. And so I do think that it's going to change and it's going to be a slow process. I think once the older generations retire and die that sounds so mean but like once they go i really do think they're the biggest block to yeah. to things like that and i think it's like this constant 
we don't want soft kids. We don't want snowflakes, but it's like, that's not what that means. We're talking about kids who can regulate their own nervous system and their own emotions so that they don't act impulsively and so that they can make informed decisions for themselves and for their futures. So I, I do think it's changing slower than what I want, but I am very hopeful that it's going to change. And I do believe it's very realistic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of like how you mentioned uh, when you were younger and, and, how you would feel and, and it making you want to become an educator. I was the same way where I would get, I remember in a math class very specifically, and I made a best friend because of it. I would get sent out of class every single day and it would be like for 45 minutes at a time, just like sitting out at like literally sitting right outside of the door at class. And to think now my, like I get upset when students go to the bathroom, I'm like, you're missing class. You need to like come back inside. Um, I definitely think things are getting better. Um, it's, Ooh, it's... That, yes, that same thing happened to me when I had a teacher. I was in class with my best friend. We're still best friends. Mm -hmm. um, and I was 14 years old and my, the teacher would send me out every day. And one day, like she came out in the hallway and she was like, you know, Isabel, why do I have to send you out? And I was like, well, I'm just helping her. Like I was like, I'm actually helping her. And she was like, you are. And she like this teacher took the time to hear what I said. And she was like, well, I'm sorry I keep sending you out. I didn't know you were helping her. And she was like, I'm going to move y'all to like a more secluded area of the room so you don't disrupt others. And as long as you're helping her, I'll let y'all talk. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I was like, cool. She's like, she's a cool yeah. teacher. Um, and so I did help my friend and we had a great time. And the teacher, I didn't get in trouble anymore. And it was like this whole thing of understanding. And yeah. I think understanding is like a huge thing that's missing in a lot of, in a lot of people, but even in the classroom, like we're not understanding our students needs, which is why I like advocacy so much, but we're just kind of like doing this one size fits all thing for our kids. And it just, it doesn't work. And as to what you're saying, if like, if, is it realistic to do restorative? We go to school for four years to become teachers. At some point in those classes, we could definitely start putting in things that help us become better educators and better understanders and better listeners yeah. there are some of those classes i took in my undergraduate degree that i was like what was the point of this it was just a waste of money that was just a money grab i was yeah. like what? so i mean i really do think if we start taking classes that emphasize the importance of this that we could do it and we don't have to be sent out of the classroom and miss our education and embarrassed or publicly shamed those things are out they're not working yeah. it's just it's ridiculous so and i i feel like this it, we have a lot of great PD at our school, and I feel like that's something that could also be uh, more pushed to these. Because when you, that story that you just told me made me think also, it's like maybe that teacher, like while that teacher was willing to listen and was it, like made the right move at the time, I wonder if she had a format or a, um, I want to say vibe, but that's not a professional enough word, uh, <laughs> uh, atmosphere in which you felt comfortable to bring up your needs or, or your friend bringing up her needs in the class. And I think about that a lot, too, where sometimes students will advocate for themselves for something that they need. And then I'll reflect on, like, they had to convince me. And it's like, if I did things a certain way and structure my class in a, in a certain way, they wouldn't have necessarily had to convince me. They could have just like brought it up. Um, and I feel like that's, that's something as uh, you know, you talked about the book and needing to educate adults too. That's something that we can always think about and always improve on. So um, 
yeah, it's, I don't know. It's exciting. That's why I think that's why I love the field of education so much is I, I really do like learning and making like I, I box. So in boxing, I feel like there's always some type of like technical improvement that you can make no matter what, like even the best boxers in the world, you could, they could look at themselves and think, oh, I should have done that. And I feel like in teaching, it's the same way where it's like, I am working on something and now I'm going to like keep implementing and I'm never like, I used to always tell myself I was a bad teacher, which I, I have gotten out of that uh, mindset, but it's because I was always reflecting and thinking of like, what more can I do? Because there's so much to, to tackle, you know? There's so much trial and error in education. Yeah. You're like, well, that didn't work. I'm a terrible teacher. But then you change it and you're like, okay, it was better this time. Like, I'm not yeah. so bad. So I totally get what you're saying. Definitely. Um, kind of in, in relation to what we're talking about, um, from what I watched from your your videos that involve students uh i just really enjoy the culture of your classroom and like how people speak to one another and um i think too a couple of a couple of the videos, not just a few like a bunch <laughs> of your videos uh involve some type of a student expresses their emotion in your class and that is a welcome it's obvious that, that teachers that students are very comfortable around you because they're able to express themselves around you what is your like um approach or, or maybe some of the challenges to building a culture in your class and maybe even related to what we were talking about earlier, like if that culture doesn't match up with the school or other teachers, like how do you deal with maybe like classroom cultural differences? I would say that on the first day of school, I remind myself that I'm here for the kids and no one else. And so I'm not here to impress my colleagues, nor am I here to impress my administration, although they are my boss. I'm not here to impress them. I'm here to have a positive impact on the kids. So when I remind myself of that, I just try to be myself because I think if I am myself in front of the kids, then maybe that will provide a comfortable place for them to be themselves. And so I try to be funny. And when they don't laugh, I point that out. Oh, you guys didn't laugh? Like you didn't think of, I'm funny? Like what the heck? And so then I try to make them laugh. I don't really give up on that. Um, with everything that I teach in geography, I try and put like a funny story in it. And so I think they enjoy that. I think it keeps them engaged. I ask them to share stories that could relate to the topic. So if we're talking about a different country, I'm like, have any of you ever been here? Do any of you want to go here? Let's look up some stuff we could do here. And so I think that, is something that I'm really good at is just making everything relatable by bringing their personal lives into everything that I can do. Um, I also really enjoy watching videos in class. And I know like everyone's like, oh, here's another video. But my videos, I try and do discussion based learning with. So I try and pause it. We're going to ask questions. We're going to share. We're going to get some candy if we're sharing. Like I'm going to hand out Twizzlers, whatever. Like we're going to get some candy um, for sharing, which does encourage those who don't usually speak to maybe speak one time. And so I enjoy that as well. I, I really do just try and find any way I can try and make it fun and that I can try and be myself. And whenever I make mistakes, this is the big one. I let them know. Like, I'll be like, oh, yeah, there was, like, a wrong answer on your test. That was my bad. Like, I literally can't spell. Like, I'll, I'll like, make myself the butt of the joke so that they can, like, make fun of me a little bit, too. And then I laugh when they make fun of me. And it's like, cool, I'm human. You're human. We're going to get through this together. So I think humility is really big and making fun of yourself and pointing out your mistakes. It, it, it really makes a world of difference. Which, to maybe somebody listening to that, is way easier said than done. Uh, I get roasted so I, I come, I teach in South Central LA. Uh, 
my kids do not hold back on how they feel about me. So I get roasted day in and day out. And sometimes it gets to me where I'm like, oh my God, like I'm so not cool. Like, why am I, why am I trying to be silly for these kids? Like I, I should just, you know, um, so I, that's like, like I said, much easier said than done. Um, I, I kind of want to go back to you. I feel like your educational journey is um, complex as maybe all are, but you also have like multiple credentials. Um, you not only have a master's degree, but you have the Brown Crown Advocacy Group. Um, how do you feel like, because to be transparent, like I'm, I'm considering uh, getting a master's in education myself, but a lot of times when I'm, I'm looking at programs or kind of like you said earlier, like my credential program, there were some classes where I was like, I did not need to take this. Like I know what I'm doing in a classroom enough. Uh, so I'm always thinking of like, do I really need like my master's in education? What do you feel like your your master's was able to give you and, and provide for you that those other avenues like didn't expose you to? I would say the master's in education knocked out imposter syndrome. Like I always tell my kids, if you're going to argue or you're going to debate, you better be able to say like, well, I know this because I did this, this, and this, and I researched this, this, and this. And so before when I was teaching and another teacher would be like, well, I think you should do this. Or an admin would be like, yeah, you can't really do that. I'd be like, oh, okay. Like my ideas crushed and sad and go to my classroom and do things the way they want me to do things. But doing the master's, I was like, actually, no, I don't think I should do that. I want to do this and I'm going to try it. If it doesn't work, I'll come back and report that to you. But if it does work, I'm also going to come back and report that to you. So the master's gave me a confidence that I didn't know I needed, but I'm glad I have now because I was able to say, no, like I did this research. I know exactly what I'm doing. Don't you ever come for me in the practices I'm doing in my classroom because I spent years and years and years of research and time and money and effort learning what to do in my classroom. And this is how I'm going to be an individual teacher, not a group teacher. Although I support my coworkers, I'm an individual teacher with individual ideas that I think could work and I want to try them. And the masters gave me the confidence to say that and start being an advocate. Yeah. Can you like, uh, I want you to expand on that, the individual versus the group teacher, because I've never really thought about that. What do you I don't know how to say it. Talk more about that. <laughs> yes, I would love to. So when I first started teaching, um, it was I was so excited and I had all these ideas. And I remember the first day they were like, okay, you, you're teaching geography and so is one other teacher. So you're going to have the same test as him. You're going to have the same notes as him. You're going to have the same this, 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 and this. And I remember looking at that stuff and no disrespect to him and how he does things. But I remember looking at that stuff like, what is, this is boring. Yeah. How We're copying notes from the textbook every day. And I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, I can't do this. But I didn't want to be disrespectful. I didn't want to get fired. It's my first job. I'm literally 22 years old. So I was like, okay, well, let me start doing things this way. And slowly I started to change things a little bit here and there and see what worked and play around with that. But for the most part, I stuck with what I was told to do and I hated it and I was so bored. And so when I went to my master's program, I, for advocacy, I I had to do a research project that would last the whole two and a half years. And so I was like, what can I do that's different? Like some people were like, oh, I'm going to do English literacy and I'm going to do curriculum, all that stuff. And I'm like, man, bored. Um, and, and then, of course, me being a social studies teacher, they were like, why don't you do social studies? And I was like, man, boring. I don't want to do that. Um, so I was like, I'm going to do my whole entire two and a half year research on controversial topics in the classroom and having classroom discussions on controversial stuff and debates, discussions, things like that. So I did all this research about how 
group teachers do everything the same and they do their PLCs. And although that's very helpful and I'm not knocking that, it, it's not meant to be this mandatory thing that you have to do. It's meant to be help and resources of like, we're all teaching the same subject. Here's some ideas. What ideas do you have? And we all share and we all learn from one another. But but the individual teacher, we go back to our, our classroom and we can take those resources and we can do what we want with them. We're not told we have to do this. And it's the same thing with like standardized testing. Everybody has to take this test. I don't believe in a one size fits all. I, I don't. I think testing is inherently biased and really reflects privilege. And that's really that. Um, and so, of course, I don't like that. And so the individual teacher, I guess, wants to teach their own way and does trial and error and figures out what's most successful for the students. And that's what I like to do. And I don't like to be told what to do, because if I don't agree or respect what you're telling me to do, what what's the point? Why would I do it? And I think that is another reason teachers leave the classroom is because they have all these ideas and training and whatever, and it's squished. And it's like, why would I, if I'm going to be squished, might as well go to the corporate world, like where I make more money. Why would I be squished in a classroom that's meant to be fun and creative? Yeah. So hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I, I feel like I, um, as a dance teacher, especially in California, it's like something that's becoming a little more uh, normalized. It's not, it, it's definitely obviously rare to have a dance teacher in a middle school, um, mm -hmm. but it's, there's like dance uh, credentials now in California and just a lot of um, like, there was just a bill passed that's like specifically designating money to arts in, in schools. Um, <laughs> well, something that I'm running into is I didn't understand how curriculum worked uh, because I have never gotten it. And when I started this job, they were like, Cre create your own curriculum. And I was like, cool. And then now I'm kind of, uh, maybe it's just like the other end of the, the pendulum where it's like, oh, I have zero support. So like when I'm, I run into a problem or like, I don't know, just a bunch of trial and errors where it's like, I need like some ideas to bounce off of my other teachers are like, oh, like, what does your curriculum map say? And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I don't have that. I don't yeah. <laughs> So uh, It's almost making me, I, I'm, I'm thinking now just because of a lot of like maybe political changes in California that like, I kind of want to. Uh, and this is why I kind of asked with the, the masters, like go a step above just my classroom and seeing what can we do to support arts educators? Because like right now there's, there's this kind of like energy where it's like, yes, we need arts in the school. We need arts in the school. And then it's like, so how are you doing arts in the school? And they're like, I don't know, you guys figure it out. And it's like, oh, like we need not only arts in the school, but we need arts in like the administration and we need arts in uh, the, the home office and, and the district office. So um, yeah, it's, uh, I like the idea of individual versus group teacher. I, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to figure out how my individual fits into the group, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know. Again, it's exciting. A lot of things done back. <laughs> I love that you're teaching dance. I mean, we, so I, our states are so different. I'm in South Carolina. Um, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And I worked at a small school in South Carolina. And so we had, for our arts, we had chorus, theater, and band, and art. Or, you know, and that's it. We didn't have dance. We don't have like a, a yoga. We don't have like all any like, like calming outlets. And I, I think it's so crazy that people are like, oh, you have to do PE. But it's like, there should be a dance option. There should be a yoga option. There should be something other than like a PE. And so recently I heard from my friend at the school that 
the chorus teacher quit, the theater teacher quit, the band teacher quit because our school doesn't really support the arts. They're like, yay, go arts, like what you just said, but that's all they do. They just, yeah. yeah. And so it's kind of like those kids fall through the cracks so often here in the South because their wants and their needs are not seen as a priority. And yeah. it's like, there should be something for everyone. And I'm, t- I'm tired of the one size fits all. I, I think dance is a wonderful outlet. Like I told you, my best friend did hip hop her whole life and she loved it. Now her daughter's in hip hop. So I just, it does suck that, I mean, at first it's probably cool to have your own curriculum, but it does suck that there's not really support there and there yeah. should be an emphasis. I mean, and that surprises me like with California, I would think there would be a little bit more than there is here because there's yeah. nothing here. We have like separate art schools that you have to like apply and get into. And those schools are awesome and amazing, but everybody can't get into those schools. So it's like, what do you do? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that change is like we've been saying, change is definitely happening. Um, but I think, Something that's exciting about uh, what you're doing and, and the um, inspiration that you give to a lot of people. And I think it's it's similar in my own uh, setting where it's like, this has never really been done before. And the people, maybe like the old school style veteran, either administrators, teachers, district office people, like they don't even know what they don't know. So like in my class, it's like, I don't have any dance curriculum. And they're like, we don't even know like what to, we don't, they don't, we don't know how to communicate because there's no like, middleman you know so that's why I'm, I'm reflecting now that I'm like oh like in the scope of like the history of education and dance in California it's probably people like me that need to be the person to like make these connections you know and that's terrifying but it's also um yeah I think they're the something that I, I, I like about what you, how you've been speaking in the past uh, 45 minutes is like there's this attitude of like okay so like what are we going to do about it because I find myself complaining a lot, but also like being able to have the strategy and also like the willpower and the patience to like put something into a, in a plan is so hard. Uh, it is so exciting and it's so scary and all of those things all at the same time. So, yeah. 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 I complain a lot too. And I'm like, oh, well, I got to put some action behind this complaint. Yeah. But, but, you know, kind of like how you mentioned with the, ad- the advocacy uh mindset of like we need those people to to complain it's just that when you have people complaining doing nothing is is that's where i personally get like i have a lot of friction with like, that where there are people that always have something to say and then i'm like so and they're like well it's not gonna and it's like no 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 like you're right so we need to do something about it um and yeah it's it's inspiring uh well, you- that is what you just said is exactly why i went to get my master's because they do always have something to say and i wanted to be like literally like shut down. I have a master's in this. Like, you're not going to tell me. And it reminds me of one particular example when I was like maybe a second year teacher. I didn't have a master's yet. I didn't even consider it. I was like, I'm never going to school. School sucks. But um, I watched CNN 10. Did do y'all know what yeah, that is? Yeah. Yeah. And it was like talking about ISIS in the Middle East. And we happened to be learning about the Middle East at that time. And one of my students said something about ISIS. And so I paused it and was like, like something like all Muslims are playing you know something horribly stereotypical bad thing to say we do have a high muslim population here where i work so i of course was not going to let that go um but you know we have to facilitate we have to do it in an appropriate way you know i'm not going to be like you're stupid but i'm going to be like well let's dive into that and so we talked about it we had a great discussion it was wonderful everybody felt like they learned in my opinion i felt like i learned and the, the parent called and freaked out on my administration freaked out on me 
um, scheduled a parent-teacher conference, came in and was like, you cannot talk about any other religions in class, which I guess I was talking about another religion with Islam. You're not allowed to talk about other groups. And I was like, listen, like I teach geography. We, we're going to talk about the culture of each place. And that includes the religion and the languages and this and that. Um, and so this teacher did threaten me and it was this whole thing. It was crazy. But then like a week later, I was like, I'm applying to my master's. Like you're not going <laughs> to, I'm going to figure out how to prevent this from happening again. I'm going to get better at handling these discussions. And so that's why I did my research on controversial topics and facilitating them and how to best approach parents when they don't like what's discussed in the classroom. So that was really insightful. Yeah. Uh, I want you on my team. Uh, <laughs> there. I would love to come there. Can I ask um, when you, and again, I feel like you do a lot, so this can be hard to, to answer, but in, I guess in your practice, what you believe you do um, and maybe your day-to-day, -day, what do you, I ask this question to a lot of uh, different teachers and practitioners just because it's, it's always interesting to me. What do you feel like the biggest challenge and, and the biggest thing that gets in the way of you doing your job effectively? I would say the biggest thing that gets in my way is micromanaging, which is why I wanted to create my own thing because I don't like people telling me what to do already. I don't think anyone likes that, but I don't like people telling me what to do when I don't agree with what they're saying or their leadership. If I think it's a bad idea and I, I've spent months getting to know a student and you're going to tell me this is what I have to do and I know that student and I know it's not going to work, I don't have respect for that. And so the constant, well, here's how we need to do things. Here's new training. I'm like, what is this new training? I'm like, what is this? Another new thing? Like, if I have a way that is working with a particular student, I, I don't think I should be micromanaged on that. And I would also say the biggest challenge for teachers, I would say, if they really get to know a student and they put a lot of time and effort, like I always say, like the quote, the bad student was me. But I had a few teachers who put a lot of time and effort into encouraging me and motivating me. And then they go to another teacher that has no patience for them, doesn't respect them, doesn't care if they succeed, has a very drill, 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 you do things my way or you fail. And I see that kid crushed from education. I spent all this time trying to lift that kid up. That's discouraging. I can't sit here in the classroom and watch my kids. I teach ninth grade, work so hard with these ninth graders. They get motivated. They get excited. They like learning by the end of the year. And then they go to the next class and they're like, get ready for the real world. And they treat them poorly. And then they, then what? Yeah. I'm like, I, that made me want to quit teaching, seeing these bright kids just give up because a teacher who had zero patience for them. Yeah. So that bothers me. Wait, was that even the question? I don't know. Yeah, yeah just the biggest <laughs> challenge. Um, yeah. And then maybe like as a final, because I, again, I feel like I'm a reflective person and I started a podcast because I'm selfish. Uh, you, uh, what do you think is like, again, with, with your perspective on where education's at and where it needs to go, what do you think is the most important or, or maybe a couple uh, value um, that teachers need to have in order to, to be effective educators? Hmm. I would say flexibility because you have got to be flexible. What works with one kid doesn't work with another. One kid might be like, oh, can I do this homework and have an extra day? And I think if they're saying, I'm going to do it, but I need more time, you should say yes. Yeah. And so some teachers aren't flexible and they're like, no, you can't have an extra day. And I don't care why you need an extra day. And I'm not going to dive into what happened at home last night. And it's like, 
okay, but wasn't the point of them doing that work so that they would learn the material. And yeah. so I think flexibility, I allow all my students to make up their zeros because why would I not? I don't, I don't, I don't like the rigid, strict, you're going to learn consequences before you learn the material and before you learn the content and before you learn grace. I don't, I don't like that. So I think flexibility is the biggest thing. I think we need to be flexible because the whole point is that our students learn and they like learning and they become productive citizens of, of our society. And we want people in our society who are kind and who are flexible and who want the best for each other in their community. And if we don't show that, we're not teaching that. And right. so I think flexibility is, is the greatest characteristic a teacher could have. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, great. Uh, Isabel, thank you so much. Uh, I wanted to plug the advocacy ABCs one more time. Great book. Thank you so much. Uh, you find that on, I found it on Amazon. I don't know if there's anywhere else uh, you recommend buying it. Um, and then also uh, I would recommend following Isabel at uh, ISE the advocate on TikTok. She has a lot of great and entertaining things. Um, also uh, check out browncrownadvocacy.org. Do you feel like there's any other plugs we, we got to make sure we mention? No, we're good. We're good. <laughs> and I want, I wanted your, you said you found me on TikTok. So I wanted your TikTok too. Oh yeah. It's uh Oh, I don't even know. Or if I you want to email it to me too. You can email <laughs> okay, me. Cool. I think it's Ricky A. Medina, um, but I could be wrong. And your pot, your podcast channel as well. And I, if you just email me all that, I would like that. I will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also I wanted to say as, as a thank you, I, I don't know if you are told this, but you are inspiring so many educators all the time with what you do. And, um, yeah, like thousands of educators that that are able to like watch what you do mm -hmm. and make themselves better, which in turn like makes students better is uh, really great. So thank you so much for thank you so much. making a TikTok. Like you think that sometimes you could say that like, oh, that's it's just a TikTok, but it's not. You're doing really uh, incredible, amazing things. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Also, thank you for doing this podcast. This was so exciting. Great. Like uh, you said, I like to talk. I'm selfish too. Yeah. Like, let's talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so great. Uh, okay. Well, that that was all I got. Thank you so much. Uh, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. Happy summer. Thank you. You too. Don't forget to email me. I will. Definitely. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. Bye.